So it was a rainy day here in May, and uh, I woke up with more anxiety than you can imagine. See, here's the plan. I'm dating my then girlfriend. We're going to wake up. I'm going to drive her not knowing that we're going to go skydiving. She's not knowing that we're going to go skydiving. I'm going to surprise her with skydiving, and then I'm going to ask her to marry me. Then, back home, I'll call my friends. They will organize a huge party for us, and that all those things will work out sequentially. It will be perfect. Oh, yeah, she'll say yes to me. So um, that's what I'm thinking when I wake up that day. I don't know why you're laughing. So (laughs) as I wake up, oh, no, it's raining outside. First issue. So as we drive through the clouds, I'm not kidding you, we get to the airport about an hour away, and then the skies just open up. Okay, here we go. And I say to my wife now, I know I gave the story away in that, but I say to my then girlfriend, hey, uh, maybe we should go skydiving. What do you think? And miraculously, she says yes. Now realize that might have been the last test on whether she was supposed to follow me into this journey called life and marriage. Uh, it was an incredible day. Now, if you've never been skydiving, you realize you've got to go tandem with somebody the first time, which means you are strapped to somebody else. In this case, a man. So when she gets down to the ground, I'm waiting. I unstrap from the dude, and she's unstrapping from this guy as I say, hey, will you marry me? She says yes, and the rest is bliss, right? Everything's perfect in marriage. That's what we're going to talk about today. Thanks, Aaron. Aaron says, hey, you got a small topic for you to share about marriage this morning, but it can't be more awkward than last week if you were here for that. And so as we think through marriage today, let me just say I'm a huge fan of marriage. God's a big fan of marriage. God created the thing. And we want to dig into the good and hard and in-between of marriage. In a room this size, some of you, your marriages are struggling right now and are saying, I don't know whether it's worth it. Maybe there's tension. Maybe there's just kind of, you're, you're in a weird season of feeling like, is this all that it was meant to be? Some of you are on fire. You've just seen breakthroughs. Maybe you're still newlyweds. Amazing. Some of you are going, man, I'm single, and this could be awkward today. Maybe you're far from marriage, and I pray that today shapes you in the picture of what God might want to do. And so here's a picture of my family. So a little bit has changed since that day. When we think about my family, I think about the complexity of marriage now. Because many kids later and many years later, you think, man, how hard does this become on a regular basis to just manage the details? But when it comes to marriage, I want to promise you this. God did not invent marriage so that we could just manage the details together with another person. I believe he's inviting us into something deeper. And I pray that today invites us into something deeper. And so as we think through this idea, Aaron talked about it last week, about how many times before marriage, it can be, hey, uh, all we want to do is, is have sex, and it's really, really hard not to. And then once you get married, for whatever crazy reason, that might shift years down the line, and you're trying to get married couples to, to figure out that sex is a massive part of the relationship. The same can be true of time, of time. You know that person that gets engaged or is heading that way, and all they do is hang out with that one person. They disappear off the face of the earth because that's all they want to do is be together. And years later, I'm like, hey, you guys need to spend time together. You need to do more than just, you know, dishes together and fold laundry and the real stuff of life that gets in the way. God has a great intention for marriage, but a lot of stuff gets in the way of that. We're going to talk about those tensions this morning. One of God's greatest gifts can be marriage, and yet our culture treats it as something that many times is a curse 
or you're trapped within. In our, in our culture, many times we like to throw, uh, throw rocks at marriage, throw insults at marriage, and, and really marriage gets a bad rap many times. And I have to give you guys a confession, is that when I fell, literally, into engagement, and what my wife really fell into engagement, uh, I thought that it was going to be me plus one. Me just bringing this woman into this adventure of life. And in, in arrogance, thinking, here, I will usher her into this adventure. But what I see about marriage is it isn't a me plus one. Like you're going to a wedding and you have to write that. Who's your plus one on there? Oh, yeah, here's my spouse will be coming with me. But it is one God, the living God, who invented marriage, inviting two people together in our brokenness, in our madness, in our dysfunction to come together. Now, let me say one thing as well. I don't believe in marriage you're twice as effective when you find the right person. I believe you can be a hundred or a thousand times as effective. Marriage is an adventure and so is life. But along the way, there are some issues that, that get in the way. Now I want to take you back to our first date. Back to our first date, I thought, oh, we'll go to a jazz club. How about that? Like, that sounds like a super romantic thing, right? We'll go to dinner in a jazz club. And so as we were um, heading from dinner to the jazz club, my wife's phone rings. My then girlfriend picks up the phone. Who does that? First date. She picks up the phone and she gives me this look like, I got to take this. Well, about three minutes in, I realize she's talking to a dude in prison. Okay, what's going on here? All right? And so I'm thinking, yeah, you got some explaining to do. And she's giving me that look like, I'll explain later. I'm so sorry. And so in that jazz club that night, she begins to talk about her friendship that had started years before as she realized this crazy story and this really unfortunate story where our now friend, Nate, had end up, ended up in prison with life without parole. And she had become his friend. She had been writing and calling. and Now, you got something to deal with when you think through first date. That's the introduction to our relationship. And what I want to talk about today is often how God uses the other person to shape us in his goodness and in his love. That's not the end of the story. That was just the beginning of the story with our friend Nate. And again, the big idea today is a me plus one marriage will shrink but a one plus we marriage will keep growing. If your marriage is just the size of you that you are trying to bring somebody else or drag somebody else along into, it will shrink over time. But if you are coming into a marriage saying, God, what do you have for us? This journey of life, this adventure of marriage, what do you have for us? You will just keep growing. And I love being around couples in their 80s. My grandparents are in their 90s. They love each other so deeply. They still have the glimmer in their eyes. I want that. I want to follow Jesus into this life and this journey and this adventure and fight off everything else that our culture is throwing at marriage right now. Guys, I'll be honest with you in this as well. So I have to wake up every day and ask God to rewire what I believe about marriage. What, what I have bought into cultural lies, things that I have believed that marriage exists many days to go, well, this doesn't make me happy in this moment. We're going to talk about that today. God needs to rewire us, and it doesn't just happen once. It happens every single day when we wake up and realize that we are in this journey or this adventure of marriage. Now, let's look at what Ecclesiastes, this ancient wisdom book, has to say about marriage or about relationship, and we'll apply it to marriage. Here we go. 
Ecclesiastes chapter 4, starting in verse 9. Two are better than one because they have a good return for their labor. If either of them falls down, one can help the other up. But pity the one who falls and has no one to help them up. Also, if two lie down together, they can keep warm. But how can one keep warm alone? Though one may be overpowered, two can defend themselves. A cord of three strands is not quickly broken. Now, this last verse, a cord of three strands, has made such an impact, an imprint on my wife and I's life and marriage. We decided to tattoo it on our bodies. It wasn't like a spring break tattoo. It was like very intentional tattoo, okay? My wife has this in Arabic wrapped around her wrist. I have this on my shoulder. And for us, it's, we realize it is God leading the way and we're joining him in that. It's very different than I'm leading the way and I'm asking God to sprinkle a little bit of his favor on our marriage just so we don't get divorced, just so we go the distance. That's not what we want. We want this adventure of life in Jesus together. We want this abundant life and marriage. What does that look like? Well, looking back at this verse, who doesn't want that verse? Doesn't want what that verse talks about. Look at this. To have greater impact together than you could alone. Who doesn't want that? To have not just 2x impact, but 100x, 1,000x impact. To have someone pick you up when you fall. Anybody here ever have a bad day? Anybody ever wake up cranky? Anybody ever wake up with self-doubt? Yep. I'm glad there's another person that reminds me that I've got a mission here on this earth, that reminds me that, that I have a life to live. Pick us up when we fall, to be warm when we sleep. I mean, who doesn't desire that? I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand if you've ever spooned, perhaps at a necessity on a cold night when the heater went out, okay? That's up to you guys. To be able to defend against the frustrations, the fears, the anxieties of life, like, who doesn't want that? And when we talk about biblical marriage, it's an invitation into this beautiful way of life and living that gets a really, really bad rap in our culture. I got to say this, guys. I hate the way that sitcoms portray the guy. And in that case, I'll say the dude. He's just a dude who is like running off and, you know, cares more for his hobbies than he does for his family. And his wife sort of always has to be the boss and rein him in in so many different ways. And that's not what I see in scripture. And let me just say the passage that, that I'm about to read gets a bad rap in our culture. You may bristle against it just a little bit. And we're going to explain it. We're going to dig in here, but it's really, really important for us to say, taken out of context or misused, it can lead to words and even actions being abused in marriages, in lives. And unfortunately, it has been in our culture. And so we want to see this in the, in the direct context of what God invites us into in marriage. So we're going to be in Ephesians chapter 5. Let me give us some context. Paul is talking to the church about how to live and love well. There are lots of different areas that he introduces them into, and he's going to move just from loving well and using your gifts into what this looks like in marriage. And the last verse, he says, submit one to another. So in the context of the body of Christ, we are to submit, to give authority to one another in different areas of life. Now, none of us like to give authority away in this culture today, in, in this day and age. But just stay with me, hang with me till the end of this passage, and we'll see more of God's intention for this. So we're going to start in Ephesians chapter 5. Starting in verse 22. Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ 
is head of the church, his body, and is, his, is himself its savior. Now, as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. In the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. Keep that in your mind. Love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as Christ does the church. Because we are members of his body, therefore a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This mystery is profound, and I am saying that it refers to Christ and the church. However, let each one of you love his wife as himself, and let the wife see that she respects her husband. I know that some of you bristle as I even read those words of Scripture. Because unfortunately in our culture, they've been misused, they've been sloppily used, and many times they have been used to abuse through words and through actions. And that's not what we're after here. I believe it's the exact opposite of this. But as I unpack this, I want to say, if that has been the case, and if you either have used and misused and abused these words, or these have been misused to you, number one, let me just say this, that's not God's word. That's a twisting of God's word for selfish gain and for power and something that God never intended marriage to be. And secondly, if someone misuses these words, they don't understand Jesus. Jesus himself was the great dignifier of women, was taking his strength, his power, his influence to lift up, to raise up women who were not dignified in that culture. Look all throughout the gospel. And Jesus is speaking life into women and pulling them up socially, pulling them up to a space where they knew that they were loved. Now, let me just say this in our culture with the Me Too movement, with abuses over the last several years that have come out in the media and by the way, need to come out in the media. Women in our culture... I mean, just on behalf of all men, say, I am sorry. I am sorry. That is not God's intention for how you are to be treated. And that first verse, some of you stopped listening after that because it has been misused in our culture. Now, I know this is controversial, and let me dig in a little bit. This idea of head of does not talk about value, but simply talks about order order within the family. Now, let me say this. There's lots of breathing room on different things within marriage relationships. We don't have time, nor am I going to dig into all of those today. But let me just say this. There is zero breathing room in one thing, and it is that God intended marriage for sacrifice and servanthood. There's no breathing room in that to serve and love one another. And men, when we look at the, this passage, most of it's written to us, we have a pretty high bar. Jesus himself, good luck to us. Like if that doesn't have us on our knees, oh my goodness, all I got to do today is wake up and love my wife as Christ loved the church. Cool. Lay down everything, sacrifice everything. Wow. If that's not humbling, I don't know what is. I don't know how we can get prideful about how we're loving our wives when that is the marker right there. That's intense. But it's so good for us. To, to be rooted in that, to the example of Jesus, not just to what I want to do or what our culture tells us to be able to do. 
Unfortunately, many times the breakdown of family, and Aaron's talked about this before, is due to the breakdown of the man. Because it's easy to create a human life and it's hard to nurture a human life. And many times, a man who creates a human life does not stick around to nurture human life. My wife uh, and daughter got to go to Ecuador last year and visit one of our care points uh, down there that we're very involved with and their pastors. I'll get to go down in, in a month or so. And one of the greatest travesties in that whole culture is that they have this, this idea that the men just leave to go to the city to pursue whatever they want, leave these villages they leave families fatherless and kids fatherless. They live wives, leave wives with no husband to do everything, to do all of it. And these villages of children, because men haven't done this serving that God has called them to do. This has grave, grave characteristics in our culture and grave, grave consequences. And so I, I realize that this might sound oppressive, but in fact, it's quite the opposite, that we're to serve one another. We're to sacrifice. Now, let me tell you what the passage doesn't say. It doesn't say who the breadwinner is. It doesn't say how we structure our family. It doesn't say who the stronger leader is. And it doesn't say who does all the family responsibilities at home. Again, there is much breathing room in so many different areas. There is not breathing room when it comes to serving, sacrificing, and loving one another. So important. And here's what I've come to realize, guys, is that much of our view of marriage and the roles within marriage has so much more to do with what our culture says than with what God says. Our view of marriage is many times looks more like a 1950s sitcom than it does the words of God through the Bible. And we have to realize we've gotten a lot wrong. God needs to rewire a lot in us. And men, I'm going to speak to you a lot today. God needs to rewire in us this desire to serve, to lay down our lives for our wives. And that is a huge, huge deal, big responsibility. And I also know that Satan hates one plus we marriages. Satan comes to steal, kill, and destroy. Satan hates this one plus we marriage. John 10, 10 says, the thief comes only to steal, kill, and destroy. But I, Jesus, have come that they may have life and life abundantly. If you're married in this room, I want to ask you to dream for a second. What does abundant marriage look like to you? What does a life-giving marriage look like to you? I don't know about you. I know Aaron and Emily are the exact same way. I don't want my marriage to just be good enough, big enough. I want God to put so much life, so much grace, so much freedom, so much forgiveness in us that it is spilling over to all of y'all, whoever y'all is, that, that our lives would literally drip of the goodness of God. And people say, I want more of that. I don't want 2x as effective. I want 100x. I want 1,000x. God, what are you going to do to our lives Couples who were in their 80s, I've sat with, and they've shaped me because they've given me a picture of what can be if we follow this path that Christ has for us of self-sacrifice, of every day dying to ourselves, of, of sacrificing as unto God for our wives. Now, there's this book, Song of Songs or Song of Solomon. Aaron introduced it last week. Some of you just started reading the Bible this week because of it, and you're like, man, I had no idea that was in there. And so uh, I want to give this, this really helpful metaphor we talk about love and romance, it's the little stuff that gets in the way. Song of Songs 2.15 says, the little foxes that ruin the vineyards are vineyards that are in bloom. 
love. The little things come to steal, kill, and destroy the beauty of marriage. And I'm going to talk about five things that maybe don't sound menacing, but they're little foxes that pluck off the grapes in the vineyards and can drive us crazy and can drive our marriages to really, really bad places. So fox number one, this little fox of utility. Utility. What do, what do I mean by this? There's this idea that if we just do tasks side by side, then that's sort of what we're supposed to do. Whoever feels like you are just driving children around all week long. For me, I'm like, man, I don't have enough gas or time for this. Like, this is a full-time job. And who has left a child somewhere? Okay, cool. Thanks. I'm the only one. Appreciate your honesty there, guys. Some of you are lying, right? I did it after preaching one time. Because I, you know, I've got enough details to handle. I realize the kid's still at church, you know. He's in counseling, seems to be doing well, you know, overall. But uh, when I think through the amount of sheer details, it can turn us into utility. The amount of things we need to do on the house, tasks, this or that. You have to be intentional if you want to find intimacy in your marriage. Intimacy, relationship, to talk about something other than the weather and what's going on in school and the next thing for the kids, whatever else. Now, some of you are newlyweds going, there's no way. Like we talk about everything and it's so deep. Just wait. Weeds grow in the garden if you don't naturally or, or if you don't supernaturally, I would say, take a plan and put it into place to invest in that way. Let me say something as well to you men. Intimacy. Our wives want to know what we're feeling in here. It doesn't come so naturally to us. The deepest place in your life for conversation should not be over a beer with your buddies at the bar. It should be with our wives. Let me challenge you in this room, men. Have you shared your fears with your wife lately? It doesn't go a whole lot deeper than that for us. Some of you are like, ooh, I don't know. I don't know about that. Who is this guy? Why'd they invite him in today? It just got real. As you think through that, many couples get away from intimacy. Here's the crazy thing. You can act or live as a married couple with just the tasks of that and not be married. People who are not married can have sex. People who are not married can raise kids together. People who are not married can do tasks together and shop for food and be roommates and all that. God's plan for marriage is not that you would just do the tasks that married people could do together. But it's an intimacy that you're growing in Christ. You're growing in each other and becoming the couple God has designed you to be. Little fox number two is scarcity. Scarcity convinces us we don't have enough of something. And it looks a whole lot like this. Well, that couple has blank and we don't. His wife has blank and my wife doesn't getting real in here. Her husband has blank and my husband doesn't. That's where scarcity turns us around and actually we see what the other doesn't have. Here's another thing scarcity does. Convinces us we'll never have enough to invest in the marriage. We'll never have enough to whatever that looks like. Time, money, energy. When we were uh, year one of, of marriage, we've made a lot of mistakes. But one of the things that we did really well in year one of marriage, we realized we got to get away to have unencumbered conversation and to be able to take time for, for ourselves. And so while we had very few limitations in time, we had a lot in money. Our, our first a year and two of marriage, we put this habit in where we would get away for our anniversary. We committed to do that every year for our anniversary, you know, within a month or two uh, of, of that time. And we imagined the all-inclusive vacation, you know? The dude's like, you know, in white pants, like riding on horseback, and it's like flowing. You've seen it, right? And you're like, I want that. Um, that's what we pictured. 
what we ended up doing is like calling a camp and being like, hey, we don't have any money, but we committed to this thing in our marriage. Can you put us up? And then there was the year my wife is very pregnant. One of our kids wasn't doing well. They had to come with us. There was the year when we adopted and our kids couldn't be away from us. And so it ended up being a family weekend. We have never regretted that. But guys, it isn't what you picture. But it has been so good for us. Now, we've had a couple of those years where it did feel like that getaway. And it it was an amazing opportunity. But we need that time and that space away. Where in your marriage are you convinced you don't have enough? Lean in. Lean in and ask God for more. Make a commitment to that. If you convince yourself you don't have enough, it's a self-fulfilling prophecy and you simply won't have enough. I know so many couples that say, oh, we could never do that. Why? You literally have more freedom and money and kids than us. You should be able to do that. But it's the excuses that get in there, right, guys? It's the little foxes. Healthy marriages have two growing people. In scarcity, we picture, oh, I'm just who I was in the past. Here's the crazy thing. Two individuals are growing into who God has created them to be. I love this Bob Goff quote. He says, we often ask the question, who has God made me to be? But perhaps the more important question is, who is God making me into? I love watching my wife grow and develop. In some ways, she is the woman, the exact woman that she was when I married her. Maybe some of the ways God has wired her. And there's other ways where she is surprising herself and me every week. And it's amazing to watch her bloom and grow and flourish as a mom and as a human. And, and just the incredible things that God is doing in her life. I love watching that. But we, we need to keep growing. One of those things for us that's been super helpful, it's a tool called the Enneagram. And as Aaron mentioned, I'm so glad that Trace wants to invest in you guys, into marriages. We'll be right here next Sunday night. And we want to share... And that tool, you know, it's moved from being helpful in my life to actually being healing to my wife and I, to realize maybe God built us this way on purpose. And maybe we we need to understand each, you know, each other in that way so we can understand the joint calling that God has for us. I would encourage you guys, come be part of that. The conversation is going to be great. We love sharing about this poking fun at each other a little bit. My wife likes to remind me, uh, maybe every week or so, Alan, the world is not like you. Like, you are very unique and different. Oh, yeah, I guess I need to remember that. And it's so good for us in that context. We're going to have some great discussion. Uh, Sign up today. We really would love to be there with you next Sunday. Think about abundance, investing. Anything in life that you want value out of, you're going to have to invest in. And all investing is based on delayed gratification. You might not say after that weekend, that was worth it. That was worth the time, energy, effort, money we spent on that. But it is. By the way, little tip, Valentine's Day is coming up. Just a reminder, all right? It's the 14th. If you need to make plans, reservations, do a little investment, do that. All right, guys? Time to jump on it. Little Fox, number three, happiness. Happiness. You say, whoa, do you not want us to be happy? Hear me out here. When you set out to be happy... We're accidentally setting out to be selfish and just sort of try to drag somebody else along into that. What's God's intention? Sacrifice, servanthood. That when we serve, we find something deeper than happiness and it is fulfillment. That that we are serving somebody else and that God is bringing those three chords together. The one and he's making us into a we that's better following that one. Not only do we have this thing called the great commission that God has called my wife and I into mission together, but any married couple does. I want to read this quote. Some days I struggle to believe this, but but I love 
this quote by Gary Thomas. He says, marriage does not exist to make us happy. It exists to make us holy. Holy, I know, is kind of this crazy big word. Let me translate this for you. Marriage can refine us even when it doesn't excite us. Marriage can refine us even when it doesn't excite us. God has chipped off many sharp edges on me. Many are still left, but God can chip off those sharp edges with our spouse. And that's so much of his plan. Again, these couples in their 80s and 90s that look at each other with the glimmer in their eye, they share embarrassing stories about God using the other person to shape them. That's what I want. And men, let me just remind you, who's our example? Jesus. That's a, it's a really tall bar right there. We need the grace of God every day to wake up and say, God, would you allow me, would you invite me to love my wife, to serve my wife, to sacrifice for her as Christ loved the church? That is humbling, my friends. We need to keep our eye on that. Jesus sets this crazy bar. But again, life and marriage, guys, it's a grand adventure. But let me just be honest with you. At moments, life and marriage are boring. Like, did he just say that? Yeah, like there's food to be bought at a grocery store. Who likes going to the grocery store? I don't. Driving kids around town, like we think, oh man, like my life isn't you know, perfect and exciting all the time. I don't know about this season, right? Some of you are like, I didn't sleep a wink for four months after childbirth and somehow I survived, right? We're like in the survivor club together. I get it. It's hard, but God gives us in those seasons the ability through marriage to weather those even when they don't excite us, they can refine us. Little fox number four is fear. Fear will eat our marriages alive. And some of you right now are letting fear eat the trust and love and care and dependence you have for the other person alive before it even starts. Now, let me just say, guys, I'm a huge fan of counseling. My wife's a counselor. I believe wholeheartedly in counseling. There may be some things from your past that are coming back up that you didn't do, that others did to you, that are unfortunate, hard situations that God wants to use to be able to propel you into greater faith. Some of those are, are massive and deep and, and heartfelt. One of those for me was money. Coming into the marriage, there was something about scarcity and, and money. I was already in ministry, living off a really, really low budget, wondering how's this going to work with a wife, let alone kids. And um, about a year into marriage, my wife could not sleep through the night. And she came to me and said, I, I know we talked about this a long, long time ago, but I feel like it's time for us to adopt. And we're talking multiples here from another country, like not at birth, and all those fears are hitting me, but per particularly that financial fear. I'm saying, okay, uh, I need to deal with God on this. And I remember having that conversation with God of, okay, God, this is a real story, by the way. We're broke as a joke. We're living in my in-law's unfinished basement right now. We are a year into marriage. I pictured this being further along. I pictured us having more money. I pictured a lot of things. And in that time, I felt like God was silent except two things. Do you trust your wife and do you trust me? The answer to both of those is yes. I'm not going to lie. I wasn't feeling it like she was. Like God had given her th this picture of what our family was going to be. And I felt like I was missing out. I felt less spiritual. I, all these things were hitting me that I thought, oh, I, I don't know what to do. And I literally had this fear of God moment where I thought, what if I'm standing in the way of my wife having faith in what she's supposed to become and step into and risk? And what if I am standing in the way of that? And in that moment, God 
encouraged, challenged me to choose faith over fear. And that was a moment for me. Guys, let me translate what happened in that moment. I submitted to my wife's calling. I submitted. I, I said, I believe in where God is leading you. I believe in what God is doing. I wasn't feeling it, but I trust her and I trust God. And let me just say, guys, I am so glad that I submitted. I trust my wife so much. I trust God so much. And for me to enter that feeling, God, I'm on my knees. I don't know how this is going to happen, but I know that if you put it in my wife and that if we're journeying along with you, you're going to use it. And he has. I've never once regretted that. It's one of the hardest decisions of my life, the hardest journeys of my life in parenthood, but it's one of the most fulfilling things, one of the greatest blessings God has ever given us. I want to remind you that a one plus me marriage grows but a me plus one marriage shrinks because you're never going to be happy enough, joyful enough, whatever enough. Little fox number five is blame. Guys, the blame game is an ugly, ugly game. It only ends two ways, disaster or humility. It's two choices. The blame game is heading toward disaster or humility where one day you say, I am not going to wait for the other shoe to drop. I'm not going to wait for those words, I told you so, which are naughty, naughty words in marriage. But I'm going to say, God, how are you shaping this person? And the grace. Now, what I'm not saying, don't make excuses for the other person. Continue to become the person God designed you to be and, and get on your knees, pray for that person. Say, God, would you shape them? Would you use my example? God, would you bring them along in that way? And as a pastor, I get to be part of the healing process and hearing what God is doing in so many different marriages. And he uses so many different tools and seasons and counselors and books and retreats and getaways. God has many tools in his tool belt for healing marriages. Let God speak grace from you to the other person, to give grace from you to the other person. And then it can spill out from our marriage eventually to serve other people. So there's five paradigm shifts to rewire our marriage, guys, as we close up. Number one, seek intimacy over utility. You are not just designed to do tasks together, but to be in relationship together. Seek abundance over scarcity. It isn't just, oh, maybe I could have barely enough. God wants abundant life for you, abundant life in your marriage, abundant life that, that flows in here and through our marriage so that it can then flow out to the world. Seek servanthood over happiness. I dare you to serve one another. The best kind of one-upsmanship in a marriage is one-upping the other person and serving them to say, oh, what's the next thing I'm going to surprise them with? and serve them with. Next one is seek faith over fear. We need to shift the paradigm from fear to faith. What would it look like if we entered this grand adventure of life and marriage together? Marriage gets a bad rap, guys. It's easy to throw bombs and crow grenades at marriage. Two broken people coming together, that is hard. But when we seek faith together, God does beautiful things and multiplies our faith. I promise you that. And the last one is to seek grace over blame. What are you holding against your spouse that you need to ask God to give you the grace to forgive? I'm not saying that's easy, but I'm saying that's godly. I'm saying that's biblical. I'm saying that's Christ loving the church is laying our lives down for the other one. See, I don't want a me plus one marriage anymore. I don't want to drag my wife along, and I know she doesn't want to just drag me along. We want to one, the living God, the one who created marriage, who designed marriage to give us the life and put it into us 100x, 1,000x, so that it spills over to other people. That's 
what we want. That's what we're after. And by the grace of God, we're going to be on our knees praying for one another that we can do that. There's, there's two pictures, I think, of marriage. And the first one is this idea, oh, God, we want a little bit more of you. And like, God, would you just sprinkle this in like it's soup? And we're just putting hey, just, just a little bit of this. God, would you just like sprinkle a little bit of yourself in our marriage? You know, it tastes a little bit better in that. But that's not what God is in marriage. It's, it's literally the glue that holds us together. It's water to concrete. Water to concrete. And some of you are saying, our marriage feels so out of control right now. We need such a deep healing. And I pray that God becomes the water to the concrete mix of your lives, of marriages. We're not just asking for a sprinkle of God. I'm going to pray over you guys in just a moment. We're asking that he would literally become the center, that he would literally pull miracles in your life. Hope you guys can join us next Sunday night. Love to share more and more of, of how God's been at work and my wife and I meet you guys. Trace is investing in you guys and in marriages in this way. And I just want to remind you of this as we close, this big idea. A me plus one marriage will shrink, but a one plus we marriage will just keep growing. Do you want to keep growing? You want to keep growing in the person that God created you to be? You choose. I want to pray over you guys. I know Aaron's going to then invite us back to the cross. I can't imagine doing marriage without the cross of Jesus Christ and the example of Jesus. And I want to pray a prayer over you guys, a prayer of help and a prayer of healing for our marriages. Let's pray. God, I just thank you that you are not one little element we're just asked to add to our marriage. You literally can become the glue that holds us together. And God, in this room and those watching on live stream and those tuning in later, I know there are marriages in this room and outside of this room just on the brink of disaster. There are marriages maybe heading that way. There are marriages that just don't feel fresh. And we, we pray, God, that you bring abundant life back to those marriages. That you become the glue, that you concrete them and cement them together in your will. God, would grace spill forth from the marriages here at Trace out into their neighborhoods, out into the next generation being raised in their home and out into the nations. God, put your love and your grace in us so that through that they may see the one and only Jesus who has given us that grace in the first place. That's our prayer, God. Bring help to marriages, bring healing to marriages who need it. And we pray boldly. And all God's people said, amen.